Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Great to see all of you this morning. You know, we ought to have a good time when you come to the Lord's house. You get beat up out there in the world. You ought to have a place you can gather and laugh together and experience some joy in life. And I think that ought to be indicative of people who claim to know Jesus. I've known some people who say they know the Lord, but I don't think they were born again. I think they were born against. You know, you ever met anybody like that? Always have something negative to say. You said a guy in my other church, and I wanted to call on him to pray. We used to dismiss with someone coming forward to offer a prayer, gave us time to get to the back, shake hands, you know. And besides, it's a very spiritual thing to do. Uh, and I wanted to call on this guy, and I always wanted to say, would you come forward and lead us in word of discouragement before we go? <laughs> you know, you know anybody like that? But anyway, I'm glad you are here. Thanks, you, thanks to you who are watching online. And wasn't that wonderful seeing these uh, folks who follow the Lord in baptism? That was so incredible. I'm so proud of them. It's great to see that they, they give their hearts to Jesus while they're young. You don't have to have a PhD in sin in order to know Jesus. And I'm glad that they, they've made that decision as, as young people and pray as they grow in their faith they will soon discover God's purpose for their life. And by the way, God does have a purpose for your life. He has a will. He has something specific for you and me to do. And we are here, in my estimation, we are immortal, if you will, until that time or that period is up. And so everybody is at some point in that journey of trying to discover his purpose for your life. You're engaged in doing his purpose for your life, and you're uh, trying to affirm his purpose for your life. We're all somewhere in that, in that process. And so I submit to you that while we are traveling that road and while we are fulfilling and trying to fulfill God's design for our life, from time to time, we're gonna make some bad calls. From time to time, we're gonna make some bad decisions. There's not a perfect person in the room. There's not a perfect family represented in the room. All of us are flawed. The best any of us will be are sinners saved by grace. And that's not to excuse the wrong that we may do, it's just to understand it. It just is what it is. And from time to time, even one who follows after Jesus will need to be rescued. From time to time, we're gonna get ourselves into something that only God can get us out of. Whether you know Jesus or you don't know him, we're all in need of rescue. And that's what this series is all about. It's all about helping us understand there is a God in heaven who has a plan for our life, and sometimes when that plan is derailed, sometimes when we go off road, we never get so far away from him that he cannot bring us back. God has a purpose and a plan. And if you picked up on some of the theme of what I'm talking about this, this morning, I'm talking about Jonah, probably one of the most famous prophets in all of the Bible. And you automatically, when you hear Jonah, you associate what with Jonah? You associate a Whale, a whale of a tail, <laughs> and you always associate. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that he was swallowed by a, a whale. In fact, the Hebrew word indicates it was a great fish, a great fish. Now, it could have been, and this joined me on the limb of speculation here, but it could have been that God just designed this fish for a specific purpose, to just swallow him, to sustain him, and to spit him out later. That could have been. 
You see, I, I think from time to time, uh, we, we try to find these miracle, or these hard things in the Bible and make them impossible because we can't comprehend them. By the way, the Bible never uses the word miracle to describe anything that God does. That's our word, that's not his word. I mean, Jesus never did anything and look back at it and go, whew, I didn't know I could do that. That's kind of cool, that was a miracle. Wow, did you see that? Now we, if we did something like that, we would say, that's miraculous. That's beyond our ability, right? That's not a word God uses. He doesn't do anything and say, that was a miracle. He cannot surprise himself. So here's where I land. I think it was a literal event. I think so because the Bible indicates it. And I know that a God who could step from nowhere to stand on nothing and speak everything into existence, and it all stays there because he tells it to, <laughs> probably could compare, prepare a great fish that could do what the story of Jonah indicates that it could do. So when you study the Bible, oftentimes the Bible speaks of a literal event. Sometimes the Bible will speak in figurative language. Like Jesus said, I am the door. That doesn't mean he's actually a door. It's figurative, right? We all get it. Sometimes the Bible will speak in allegory. Uh, for example, in the 104th Psalm, it says, uh, we are as dust. We're as dust. Well, that's allegory. Sometimes the Bible will use an anthropomorphic term to help us understand God. For example, the Bible will say in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth. Well, I didn't mean the eyeballs of God are rolling around on the earth. It's an anthropomorphic term. So when you study the Bible, ask yourself, is this literal, figurative, is this allegory? Is this an anthropomorphic term? I mean, what am I reading here? It'll help your understanding of scripture. But Jonah was a, a literal figure. He lived in a, a, a little village just north of um, Galilee, the, the northern region north of actually of Nazareth, uh, called um, Gath Heifer. Gath Heifer was a little town he was from. And when the Bible mentions Jonah, as we'll see in a moment, it talks about his father. Obviously, Jonah had a good father. Obviously, he had some good guidance in his life. And, uh, and yet, a, a good boy with good guidance makes some bad decisions. And I've told you before, you can be the best parent, you can have great kids, but sometimes the best parent means kids still make bad decisions. I told you a few weeks ago, God had two kids, Adam and Eve, and they made bad choices, and he was the perfect parent. And so I'm suggesting if God has now millions of kids and we all make bad decisions from time to time, it's not a reflection on him. So I'm suggesting to you that when the Bible speaks of this man uh, uh, who, who, who had this son named Jonah, from what we know about him, he was a good father. He was a, a good man. But Jonah made a bad decision. And uh, we're going to see from the text this morning that he got himself into a situation where he had to be rescued. And what was cool about the story of Jonah is God used a natural event to rescue him in a supernatural way. Uh, he used a storm, he used a storm. Now when you look in the Bible, God often uses storms to bring about uh, his will in the lives of people. Uh, in fact, when you study it, there are three types of storms. There is protecting storms. There's a storm God will send to protect you. When you look at it and you think, oh, that's a terrible thing that happened, and God said, no, you're calling that terrible, but it's really not terrible. In fact, if you'll get through it, you'll look back on it and realize I was doing something very positive in the midst of that storm. When Jesus fed the 5,000, they put him in a boat, he went to the other side, and going to the other side, he went into a storm. Well, what it was doing in a way was protecting his mission, 
because the people who had been impacted by the feeding of the 5,000 wanted to promote him as king. They wanted him to lead some insurrection against Caesar and against Rome. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm here to do. And so in a way, the storm protected his purpose. It protected his disciples. So there are they're protecting storms. And then there are storms that I would call perfecting storms. Storms that actually can promote you to a higher level. You may have been given a difficult task or job at work, and all of a sudden you're trying to navigate through the difficulty, and it's the difficult task at work that puts you on the radar. And all of a sudden they're saying, man, this guy's, or girl's got management potential. And it's because you navigated through a difficult thing, and the difficult thing actually aided to, uh, 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 added to your promotion. Uh, Joseph comes to mind. Remember, it was the pit and the prison that ultimately propelled him to the palace. That's all the P's I got, but anyway. So you got Joseph. So you've got protecting storms, perfecting storms, and the third one is what we're gonna talk about this morning, a correcting storm, a correcting storm. That's when you're going the wrong direction, you're doing the wrong thing, and God sends something pretty harsh into your life to cause you to change course. And some of us, it takes that for that to happen. Jonah obviously was a strong-willed child. <laughs> I've told you some of us will change when we see the light, but others of us only change when we feel the heat. And there's two motivating factors that will bring about a change in your life. One is when you hurt enough that you have to, or you know enough that you want to. But change is something God is trying to do in everybody's life. He's trying to, because none of us are, none of us are where we're, where we're, we're not where we used to be, we're not completely where we should be, but we're not where we're going to be. We're a work in progress. So help wrap your head around that. And what's great about it is those moments like Jonah, when we go off-road and we lose course and we lose sight of that North Star that's guiding our life, God still loves us. He does not forget about us. He does not write us off. God has a way of bringing the wanderer back home. And that's exactly what he did in the life of Jonah. So when you open Jonah, it'll be in the part of your Bible where the pages are stuck together, but when you open the book of Jonah, it opens with what I'm calling his decision, the decision. Everything we do in life begins with the decision. And Jonah was a man who had made good decisions, but now he's gonna make a bad one. So look with me or look on the screen with me. You'll see Jonah one, look at a couple of verses there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai and said, go to the great city of Nineveh. Now understand, uh, Nineveh was kind of the principal city of the Assyrian monarchy in that day. Um, Nineveh was a great city. It was great in antiquity, one of the oldest cities. It was great in its wealth, but what was offensive to God was it was great in its wickedness. Its wickedness had exceeded its wealth, and so God was perplexed, he was concerned, and so he says to Jonah, go to the city, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now when you study the Bible, particularly the role of a prophet, God would always send a prophet into a, a place to warn the people so that they would repent. It wasn't the will of God to bring judgment before he had an opportunity to, to, to get repentance. In other words, God wanted to give them a chance before he moves in and before he deals with them, he wants to give them a chance to repent, to turn, to change. So the role of Jonah was to go in and say, the way you're living and the way you're treating each other is offensive. God sees it. And if you don't repent and you don't return to God, 
He's going to deal with you. So that, that was the message, basically, that Jonah was given from God. So go. Very clear instruction. Look at verse three. But Jonah, <laughs> Jonah, Jonah has other ideas. He ran away from the Lord and he heads for Tarshish. Now, if you understand the ancient world, Nineveh was one direction and Tarshish was the exact opposite direction. He's headed like toward what we would call the great Gibraltar now. He's going in the exact opposite direction of what God told him to do. Now, don't miss the spiritual analogy that the story is telling us. It's telling us that we can know what God wants us to do and choose to do it or choose not to do it. God will not impose his will on you when it comes to your salvation, and God will absolutely offer his will to you when it comes to your life, but we have to choose to do his will. So he runs the other way, he goes down to Joppa, he finds a ship bound for the port, after paying the fare, and it always costs you something, man, when you run from God, he pays the fare, he went on board, and he sails from Tarshish, again, underscore this, to flee from the Lord. Now, here's what we know about God's will for Jonah. There was no ambiguity. <laughs> There's no nuance. He says, go to Nineveh. And when you get there, this is what you are to do. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we can fail to do what God's will is for our life out of ignorance. Sometimes we just don't know. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you don't have that epiphany, you're not sure. You say, I know God has a plan for me, I'm not sure what it is. And sometimes, guys, we can get off track, we can get ourselves in a mess uh, out of ignorance. We didn't mean to, we didn't intend to, uh, but it, it happens, stuff happens. And so I'm saying sometimes we can inadvertently, um, almost unconsciously, get ourselves into a situation where we have to be rescued. Well, that wasn't the case with Jonah. This wasn't a man who accidentally, inadvertently, uh, unaware, unconsciously got himself on the wrong boat going the wrong way. This is a guy who did it with eyes wide open. This is not ignorance, this is willful rebellion. This is just looking at God and saying, I know what you said, I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> this is a guy who said, I know what you want me to do, but no. Now, if you've got that defiant child, you've had that experience and you can understand the frustration our Heavenly Father feels from time to time. And so this is a, a man who is now going against the clear word of his Heavenly Father. He knew God's will for his life. In fact, I told you a moment ago, God does have a will. His will can be known. Remember what he said in the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will can be known, it can be done. So it's possible to do his will. In fact, let me give you a little insight before I move off of that. In John 7, 17, here's the principle Jesus gave. Let me paraphrase it. He said, if anyone wills to know my will, they will know my will. <laughs> so if you have a will to know his will, you will know his will. So if you really want God to show you what he wants you to do, let me tell you a principle I would encourage you to follow. It's in the principles in Proverbs 4 where he says the path of a righteous person uh, is like the light of a new day. Uh, if you've ever walked down a beach, or if you've ever taken a hike early in the morning, right at sunup, you know you don't have a lot of light, you have just enough light to kind of illuminate your trail, but if as you follow the light you have, you get more light. And it isn't long until you're walking into the light of a full day. So how do I know what to do? How do I know the best decision for my life? I walk in the light that I have. 
I do what I know to do today. What do you know to do today? What, what are the right things you know? Do those. And when you do the things you know to do, God will begin to reveal the things to you you don't yet know to do. So in other words, take those baby steps. Start by saying, okay, this is what I know to do. And as I do what I know to do, God will begin to reveal to me the things that I do not yet know to do. And so that's a principle of faith and walking in faith and growing in your faith. And Jonah knew. Jonah knew what he was supposed to do. He chose not to do it. Remember the prayer in the garden before Jesus went to the cross? We talked about it last week. Remember he said, not my will, but thine be done. See, most of us, where, where, our, where our problems come in life, where we clash, is when we want God's will and our will at the same time. And when our will doesn't co correspond with his will, we choose our will over his will. And, and I've told you before, God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. So he can be trusted. So at some point you go, not my will, but thine be done. Okay, God, I'm gonna take the baby steps. I'm gonna keep walking. I'm gonna keep trusting. Jonah did, <laughs> he did none of that. He goes the exact opposite direction, and in going the exact opposite direction, he gets in trouble. I read an interesting article by Dr. Daniel Kahneman. He's a Nobel Prize-winning Princeton professor, and he studied the way we make decisions. And it really was interesting, his findings. He says there is a part of your mind that's more logical. You have a, he called it just the logical part of your mind. He says the logical part of your mind is deliberate, it's analytical, it's rational. He said this logical part of your mind requires more energy so it gets lazy. So you think through things, you weigh things out, you analyze, and, and, and you, you really put a lot of thought and prayer into it. Uh, he didn't say that, but I did. And, and it takes a lot of energy because you want to make a right call. Now, when I started out working for my dad in ministry, I was still in high school, 45, six years ago now, and I started out in ministry. Back then, um, the, we had this thing of, this mode of communication. Maybe you've heard of it, it was called letters. It's interesting. Uh, and so you would write letters to people with questions or comments or whatever. And so from time to time in my role at the church, I would get questions from people that he would hand them off to me to answer. He was trying to kind of mentor me a little bit. And so what I had with that was time. I could get a letter, you know, how many knot holes are in Noah's Ark? Uh, did Adam have a belly button? You know, those kind of questions. And, and so I'm getting these very profound things. And so I would have time to think about it, process, pray, and respond. And the person who wrote me the letter didn't have any expectation that I would get back with him sooner than a day or two, because that's typically how long it would take, right? You remember those days? And what has happened now with instant everything is we knee-jerk. We don't use the logical part of the brain. Instead, listen to this. He says the intuitive part of the mind is fast, automatic. It's responsible for most of the things we think, say, or do. And he said, mistakes come when our fast, intuitive mind makes decisions without consulting our slow, logical mind. So all of a sudden, you know, you get that text. And the text is, if you don't respond within 30 seconds, you're terrible at taking care of your business, right? Where are you? What's going on? It's been 30 seconds and I don't have a response from you, right? And you're going... Give me a minute. I just need a, just a breath to think about what you're asking me, right? And so you get that every day sometimes. Family, friends, in business, everybody in the room can relate. And the, the sad thing about this instant everything 
is it's not really giving our logical part of the brain to engage in the process. And as a result, you know, we start committing to things that we can't do or we, we agree to things we wish we had not have agreed to. And if you'll slow your roll a little bit and say, give me a chance to think about it, give me a chance to pray about it, depending on the relationship you have with that person, most of the time your logical brain is going to help counterbalance the intuitive side of your brain in a very positive way. Here's the point. Jonah did not consult the logical side of his brain. He made a knee-jerk react. God said this, nope, and he's gone the other way. There's no processing. He doesn't process at all. He doesn't say, oh, God, could you give me a second here to just, I trust you, I love you, but whoa, that's a big change. I'm going to a town that doesn't like us. I'm gonna deliver a message that's not gonna be popular. And he forgot the fact that God will never send you anywhere that he's not already there. If God calls you, he will equip you, he will empower you, and he will enable you to do the thing he's called you to do. So if he's telling you to do this, you, you can do this. Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians? I can do all things, and here's the key, through Christ who gives me strength. Jonah didn't think of any of that. So he makes this terrible, terrible decision. And you remember what happens, he set sail. It isn't long, they sail into this terrible storm, and all of a sudden, these sailors who were very seasoned at what they were doing are terrified. Now, it's like if you're flying with a pilot, and as long as a pilot is not nervous, you're good to go. But if the pilot is nervous, we may have a problem. It's like you're good on the boat as long as all the sailors are cool, but when the sailors are nervous, we got a problem. And when you read chapter one, they are going, man, if you boys got a God, pray to him. You know, they say there's no atheists in foxholes. There's not many that sail the seas either. <laughs> I mean, they may not have been praying to the right God, but they were praying to their God. And here's the point I don't want you to miss. They recognized there was something different about this storm. Again, these guys have sailed through a lot of storms. But there was something about the, uh, the, 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 how fierce the storm was. There was something about how sudden the storm was that shocked them. And these guys concluded that somebody on the boat has offended their God in some way. So man, we need to, we need to appease this God. So here they are. And what's interesting, when you read chapter one, Jonah's asleep in the bottom of the boat. What? And so the captain of the vessel goes down and imagine this ship is being tossed and turned and those ancient mariners, they, those old vessels, a lot of them had bands that wrapped around them to hold the tongue and groove in place and they'd tighten the bands. And the Bible says they start throwing cargo over the ship. They're trying to lift the vessel higher into the water. Now understand, this wasn't Carnival or Norwegian or you know, celebrity. This is a cargo ship. And they needed the cargo to pay for the crew, for the, for the cruise. They needed the cargo to pay for the, for the trip, the guys. And they're throwing their most valuable things overboard. They're getting rid of all the valuable things because they're in a crisis. And they wake Jonah up and said, man, you gotta come help us. And if you have a God, you need to pray to your God. And the spiritual analogy I saw with Jonah sleeping in the midst of the storm was here was a man who caused the chaos that they're going through, and he was oblivious to the chaos he had caused. And I realized, man, sometimes when we get away from God, we don't see 
that we have caused not only a lot of chaos in our life, but we've caused chaos in the lives of people around us. Man, our bad decisions can affect our business. Our bad decisions can affect our families. Our bad decisions can affect our friends. We, we don't make decisions in a vacuum. Everybody is affected by the decisions we make. That's why think through it. Pray about it. Don't knee-jerk it at all unless God is so clear to say to you, go and do this. Otherwise, slow your roll. Think about this a little bit. Process it. Otherwise, you may find yourself in a similar situation. So Jonah, man, it finally dawns on him. He realizes what's going on. It's the second point that I have. You see the desperation now. In the middle of the storm, he realizes now they cast lots. It's kind of like drawing straws. And the lot falls on Jonah. He's like, knew it. Could have told you that before we did that, but okay. Because they were hesitant to throw him overboard. Like, man, we don't kill somebody in the midst of it. We don't make it worse. And Jonah says, man, look at, look at chapter one. Look down verse 12. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and if you do that, it'll become calm. And look at the, listen to this. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Man, such a powerful thing. Rare. It's rare, especially in our day, that you see people taking responsibility for their actions. We always want to blame somebody. You know, my mom didn't give me sweets after 10, so now I'm a serial killer. <laughs> That's a little exaggerated. <laughs> but, but the point is, nobody owns their stuff. You know, they, 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 you know, sometimes you just have to look yourself in the mirror and say, you got you into this. You got to own your stuff. It's called being a grown-up. And what I love about what he did is he said, it's me. I not only have put me in danger, I put all you guys in danger, so you gotta get rid of the problem. I happen to be the problem. You need to throw me overboard. And now, verse 17, skip down there. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. And you can see the pattern. It's right here in, in chapter one, when you look in uh, 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 the second verse, he began to go down. Verse three, down to Joppa. Verse four, down into the ship. Verse 15, down into the sea. Verse 17, down into the belly of the fish. You see, when you make a decision that turns you, you away from God, the direction is down, 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 down. When you walk away from God, the direction is, is down. And that's exactly what he was doing. And there was, even though he was headed to Tarshish instead of Nineveh, he, he, he couldn't escape God. And he couldn't escape the will of God. Listen to the 139th Psalm, verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David realized what Jonah was realizing. He, no matter where he would go, God is there. No matter where I go, God is there. No matter where you go, God is there. And no matter where you go, there you are. And if you're running from you, you can't run from you. And Jonah has this epiphany, this moment where he realizes, man, I brought this on myself. And in desperation, in desperation, he calls out to God. Third point, you see the deliverance. The Bible says, look at Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed. Now, that's it's interesting. He didn't pray until then. Don't miss that. Then Jonah prayed. It, it took a lot to get him there. In fact, if you read the last verse of chapter one, 
he stays in the belly of the great fish for three days before he prays. Talk about a defiant child. I heard about the mom who had the daughter and they were at a play, a little program thing, and the child was sitting when, standing when everybody else was sitting, and the mom grabs her child and says, honey, you need to sit. And she stood back up, you know, stands back up. We've seen that, right? We've had those children. And the mom finally says, honey, you have to sit down. Everybody else is sitting except you. It's embarrassing me. Sit down. And finally, the little girl looked over at her mother with gritted teeth. She said, I'm sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. <laughs> right? Three days. He's floating around there with all that mess inside that fish. It's saying, nope, not yet. I ain't praying. Ain't happening. No, not yet. And can you imagine? I, I, okay, I, one more trip on the limb of speculation. Can you imagine God getting the angels over going, look down there. This is funny. Isn't that awesome? He's floating and he's mad at me. He brought all that on himself and he's mad. He's not going to pray. He's just stamping his little foot in that fish and saying, I ain't praying yet. Three days of eating whatever he ate and drinking God knows what and just dealing with everything else that he's dealing with for three days. And then that misery meter finally hit a point where he prays. And I can tell you, we all have a misery meter and sometimes it takes a while for it to get to that point. I can point to an Old Testament character named Manasseh. He was a king. He was the son of Hezekiah. And in 2 Chronicles 33, Manasseh does everything the exact opposite way his father had done. He tore down all the temples and the areas where they would worship God. And he erects all of these monuments to the false gods, sacrificing kids and all kinds of terrible things until finally God had had it with him. And he sends the Assyrians in and they conquer the city and they take him captive. And in chapter 33, the Bible says when Manasseh, get this, had lost his kingdom, had lost his family, had no friends, no following, lost his money, lost everything, and he's chained on the floor of a dungeon, it says, then when he was in affliction, he cries out to God. I'm just saying, man, sometimes us hard-headed kids, it takes a lot to bring us to that breaking point where we'll just trust God who knew what was best all along. All he wanted him to do is go to Nineveh and tell them, I'm going to bring judgment if they don't repent, and I'll protect you. You're going to be fine, Jonah. When have I ever let you down? He goes, nope, not doing it. And he ends up in the whale for three days floating around. And finally, finally, he cries out to God. And in the story, you see just the power of prayer. I read this story. This is a true thing. This guy said, I'm not preaching now. I'm telling you the truth. This, this has actually happened too. You Google this one. On March the 17th, 2011, in Mount Vernon, Texas, you know where Mount Vernon is, right? There was a guy that came to town and wanted to build a bar. So the local church didn't want a bar in town. So you had this fight going on again, about zoning and all these other kind of issues. They didn't want the bar built. The guy insisted on it. So the pastor, you know, he just kind of went on a mission. We're just going to pray that doesn't happen. Well, when the construction started, he said, we're just going to pray God does something to stop this. We don't want a bar in town. Well, guess what happened? Lightning strikes the bar. It burns to the ground. Guess what the bar owner does? He sues the church. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is true. Google it. You'll see. And they end up in court. 
And the guy was accusing the church of bringing on an act of God. They wished it so, and they provoked God to the point that he actually burned the bar, and da bar down and cost the guy all of his money. And the church is now going, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're defending themselves in court. Now, this is the part I want you to hear. This is a quote from the article that, from the judge. Are you ready? Here's what the judge said. I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who now believes in the power of prayer, <laughs> And we have an entire church congregation who now does not. <laughs> that actually happened. I'm just saying sometimes, man, God will put you into that point where all you've got is just the power of prayer to rescue you. That's all he had. And you know how that story resolves. Man, you get to chapter three, you got a man who ran away from God, then you got a man who ran to God, and then you got a man running with God. And he took that fish, and the Bible says that fish, it was kind of like a, 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 a fish uber. It just took him right on the ocean and just kind of popped him right out on the beach. Guess where the boy went? He went to Nineveh. <laughs> as fast as his little flippers could take him, man, he's going to Nineveh. He caught the flipper thing. Anyway, and so he gets to Nineveh, and you know what God does? God, God changes thousands and thousands of lives because one guy who went the wrong way received God's rescue, got him on the right path, and God used him again. In fact, there's a verse in there that said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad God comes the second time? Man, I don't know where any of us would be this morning if he was just one and done. <laughs> That's not how God does. There's a plan B. You know, those rockets they launch from the Cape, all of those rockets have these onboard computer systems and it's to correct the course as they fly because they can calculate and they can do everything to try to imagine the trajectory of the, of the rocket and all, but they, they don't know what that uh, rocket will encounter. So these onboard computers will correct a lot of things to keep the rocket moving toward its course. And they say there's only one setting they have where the rocket will be destroyed, and that's if the rocket turns around and heads back toward Earth. And they'll destroy the rocket. Well, I thought, you know what, the scientists at NASA put enough thought and effort to give those rockets a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. Well, if, if they put that much, how much more does the God of the universe who created us, who sent his son to die for us, how much more does he allow us to correct the course of our life? You might be on plan, you know, Q, R, S. <laughs> I don't know where you are. But I can tell you, man, as long as there's life in your body, God's not finished with you. Remember Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. God will give you time as long as you have purpose. And all of us need to know God has a will for our life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray we can find encouragement. I don't know where all of us are, those watching online and those in the room. I don't know where we all are spiritually in our journey. So for some, maybe the message helps correct the course. For others, maybe it just encourages us and it and, and challenges us to maintain the course. So Lord, I pray however way you've spoken into hearts that we'll be receptive to it and, and we'll be obedient about it. And finally, Lord, I, I pray for my friends who may never have come to terms with their faith. 
they may never have reached out and taken hold of your hand of grace. I pray this might be the moment for them where they just pray a simple prayer like this. Say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.